and will be found on page 1144. There's no 144, but it's, it's there anyway. The Apostle Paul founded the church in Corinth, and he was there for two years teaching. And then he left and went away. And our reading today is found in chapter 1, and starting at verse 18. And as, as you follow this reading, you will see that the Apostle is bringing up issues. And the church in Corinth were actually, it wasn't a very happy place. They were arguing with each other on various philosophical things. And I wonder, you, as we go through this, will you be able to tell what were the things that they were arguing about and falling out with each other? Because that's basically what the reading is about today. And it'll begin on verse 18 in chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And God will bless this reading to our hearts for his namesake. Good morning. Oh, I'm not switched on here. Give me half a second. If I haven't met you, my name's Ed Neal. I'm the pastor here at Grosvenor. I'm just lovely to have you with us, if you are new. Uh, there was obviously a little bit of miscommunication um, because the reading should go all the way up to um, chapter 2, verse 5. So I'm going to continue reading. So if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, I'm going to read on from verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. I'm going to lead us in prayer before we look at this together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you this morning, some of us weary, some of us really feeling our weakness, some of us struggling with the challenges of this broken world with the lukewarmness of our hearts. Some of us may be trusting in man's wisdom or man's strength. We pray as we come to look at your word now that you would help us to hear your voice. Humble us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. We need your help. We need your help to see what is true and to see where true wisdom and power lies. And so would you lead us to the Lord Jesus through his word this morning we pray. Amen. Do you ever wish that Christianity was more impressive? That maybe the message was more impressive? Uh, maybe just for a moment, have a think about someone who doesn't know Jesus, who you'd love to know Jesus, but it hasn't happened yet. Can you think of them? Do you ever wish the message you had to speak to them was more impressive than talking about sort of sin and, and Jesus and the cross? Or maybe you wish that actually the people of God were more impressive. The Christians were at youth group or church. Sometimes, if you're honest, you're just a bit embarrassed about who else is at church. You wish there were more young people. Or maybe more professionals. Or maybe even a, a sports star or a TV celebrity amongst us. Then we'd be able to invite people along and, and show how impressive we were. And they'd want to join. Or do you wish the methods we used were more impressive? That actually half of our time spent together at a service isn't with some middle-aged man giving a monologue from a book that's 2,000 years old. Well, do you? I do, and I'm the middle-aged man giving the monologue. 
would you be surprised to find that that desire, that kind of thinking is nothing new? So we are actually thinking and feeling very similar things to what they were thinking in Corinth two millennia ago. Let me remind you of what life was like in Corinth. Do you remember that if you wanted honor, you needed to show that you were impressive? So you'd show off your wealth. You'd buy that house on the hill. Or you'd show off your wisdom. You you would debate and persuade. Or you'd show off your strength, influence in the city council, or, or your big private army. And if you had nothing to show off, well then what you would do is you would make friends with, associate with, work for, or even you'd hope to be a slave for some of those who were impressive. Paul writes to these Christians, and he says, although they are the church of God in Corinth, do you remember we saw that from the early verses of chapter 1? There's still too much of Corinth in the church. This desire to impress, to show off, is still so much there. These Christians think that they are truly spiritual, but actually what we find is they are divided, as they associate with different Christian celebrities. And also, some of them, I think, thinking, we want a more impressive Christianity than the one we got from Paul. Well, Paul says to them, if you're thinking like that, you're thinking like the world. And you can't see why God does things the way he does. You can't even see where real power lies. And if you're not careful, you're going to end up with a powerless, godless Christianity. I wonder for us this morning, whether we're thinking about trying to persuade that friend, or just how people look at Christianity, do we wish it was more impressive? Well, we need to hear God's word to us in this chapter too. We're going to look at the message of the cross, then the people of the cross, and then the method God uses, the preacher of the cross. And we're going to see in each case what the world thinks and says, and then what God says is really the case. Here's the first one, the message of of the cross. Let me read verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does the world say about the message of the cross? Well, it's, it's foolishness, weakness in the eyes of those who are perishing because they don't believe in Jesus? Why? Why does it seem that way to them? Well, it just doesn't fit the world's wisdom. Look at verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You see, their expectations, the world's expectations, would have been completely different. In the, in the first century, if there was a Jew in Corinth, 
And they were thinking about the Messiah. What they would have expected was the Messiah was to come in power. It's why in the Gospels you see uh, the Jews asking time and time again of Jesus, will you show us a miraculous sign? We need that to, to prove that you're the Messiah. And if there was a Jew in Corinth, as they heard the message of Christianity, God's Messiah, dead on a cross, it would have been offensive to them. In the Old Testament, someone crucified, well, it was a sign they were cursed by God. For God's Messiah to be crucified, it's just pathetic. It's stupid. And so, well, they wouldn't believe. They'd stumble. What about the first century Greek? If they heard this message, they would have just laughed. They had any number of gods. None as ridiculous as this god that the Christians worship. So ridiculous, actually, it produced cartoons. Let me show you this one. This is probably the uh, oldest picture of Christ on the cross that um, we have still in uh, existence today. It was found in, in Rome. And it's a cartoon mocking the cross. And can you see on it? So there's the cross. You can see the body on it, and yet the head, head of a donkey. And then the man beside the cross, looking up, what he's doing is worshipping. And do you know what the inscription says? It says this. Alexamenos, that's the guy's name, the worshipper's name, worships his God. In other words, if a man is on a cross, he's not God, he's an ass. And so is anybody who worships him. It's just ridiculous. The world sees the cross, it says foolishness, it says weakness. And actually, don't we experience that today? This doesn't fit people's expectations. Sometimes people maybe are a bit more like the Jews. They want to see, if there is a God, they want to see him act in power. That's the only proof that's enough for them. Others, well, maybe a bit more like the Greeks. They don't believe in God because he doesn't fit their beliefs or their values or how they think God should be. And when they hear of the cross, well, it's just pathetic. Fine for you foolishness for me. And actually, if we are Christians, and we've tried to talk to people about the cross, and you know, we, we've debated, we've explained, we really feel with all our strength, we've done the best we can, and they don't believe, well then we shouldn't be surprised, we shouldn't be discouraged. True wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, does not fit with the world's wisdom. And we want to say, why? God, why have you given us such an unimpressive message? And the answer is because God ordained it that way. Have a look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. It's a quotation from Isaiah written many years before God saying that he would destroy human wisdom. And so verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the 
philosopher of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, wisdom that said, I'm not going to acknowledge you, God. I'm not going to glorify you. I'm not going to live life your way. Well, God wants to destroy that kind of wisdom. And how does he do it? Well, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of, the, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. See, God in his wisdom doesn't want the world to know God through their God-denying rebellious wisdom. He doesn't allow that. He doesn't allow people to exercise their wisdom in a way that leads them to truly know God. It would make them more pride and independent. Instead, he saves people in a way that is so completely incompatible with the world's wisdom through a message that sounds like weakness and foolishness to the world to shame their wisdom. I suspect uh, this is certainly the case for me, maybe for you. We just don't realize as we read here in 1 Corinthians just how, like, odd, stupid, head-wrecking is the idea of the cross. Because you see, back then the cross wasn't some pretty thing you would put on a necklace and wear around your neck or a tattoo on your body or decorate a religious building with. It was the most hideous known to mankind. Imagine tattooing a gas chamber onto yourself. Or putting a picture of a hangman's noose on a religious building's front sign. In that culture, actually, it was also the most shameful thing that could ever happen to you. They got crucified on the cross. It really was proof that you were lowest of the low. You weren't even worth thinking about. When Christ came, he came with his glory veiled. He wasn't impressive looking. He didn't come to seek honor and status. He came to bear our sin and shame. And he did it on the ultimate symbol of shame, on the cross. So that for us who believe, we can be saved. Actually, for you too here this morning, if you've never trusted in Christ, You see, if you're not a Christian, don't think that wisdom, your wisdom, is going to lead you to God as if you can make your way to him. Don't think that you are strong enough to face life and death on your own. You need the one who came to save you, the Lord Jesus. See, Paul says the message of the cross, yes, it's foolishness and weakness to the world, but actually it isn't really foolishness and weakness. For us, he says, Christ is, well, verse 24, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God, the so-called foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 
See, in Christ, God shows this, his power. As he saves sinners like you and me, as he brings us to spiritual life again, he shows us his wisdom. As the almighty God who, who cannot look on sin, who, who is utterly holy, is still able to punish sin and to make a way for sinners to be his holy people. You see, where is power and wisdom found? It's found in the word of the cross. Why would we, or the Corinthians, look for wisdom or power in anyone or anywhere else? Even if it feels weak to people who don't believe, we need to keep talking about the cross. We need to keep talking about sin and judgment and, and Jesus and his death and it being the only way. It's where the real power lies. Actually, the, the test of, a, of a, a church or a Christian union or a camp and how big it is and, and whether it has real power and is really spiritual, well, it, it's not how impressive the the worship music is or how clever the leader is or how pretty the girls are or how good the coffee tastes or the pizza. It's do they preach the message of the cross? Do they at some point say we need to be saved? Do they say we need for Jesus to be punished in our place? See, we need to keep talking about Jesus and the cross. And when sometimes I think us Christians can say, oh, we've heard it all before, and we want to move on to something else, that's what the Corinthians were sort of saying. They were saying to be truly spiritual. We move on from this. Paul said, no, to be truly spiritual. We center ourselves on the cross of Jesus Christ. We will not weary of hearing about it. The message of the cross. But you might still want to say, well, surely, God, it would be better if the church was more impressed. What do you think that people walking past Grosvenor this morning think of us as we gather? Do you, do you think they think, wow, look at them, so influential, so wise, so noble? That's what the Corinthians wanted people to think. Maybe you're a visitor here this morning. You've, you've never been amongst us before. What do you think? Do you look around and you go, yeah, there's some folk look a bit like me. There's some who look very odd. Some who dress very odd. Some who sound quite odd. The quality of the display from the front, well, it could be worse, but it's not that impressive. Paul said to the Corinthians, do you know... How the world sees you, he says this, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. The world looks at the people of God, and at times it just says they're a bit pathetic. Nothing special. You know, weak, they need faith as a crutch to get them through. Foolish, 
Just so simple, these people believing this kind of stuff. Paul says to the Corinthians, why are you trying to be something? Don't you know that God ordained it this? Verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why didn't God pick more impressive people in Corinth or here in Greece? It's because he wanted to shame the wise, shame the strong. I wonder if you can remember back to those days in the playground when uh, a game was happening and uh, two people stood at the front and began to pick the teams. What was your biggest fear? I know what mine was. You just did not want to be picked last, did you? You know, this one was picked and this one and then this one and this one's getting thinner and thinner and you're still waiting to be picked. We want to pick the best people in that situation, don't we? The most impressive, the most skilled, because we want to win. What does God pick? Well, Paul says, most of you, you're unimpressive. God picks the least, the worst. Why? Because he's still going to win. And when he does, it'll shame those who've opposed him. Who thought they were so wise and so strong. Thought that, well, if there was a God, he'd be the kind of God who would pick someone like me. God's shaming of the wise is actually the kindest thing God can do for humanity. Because it undermines our pride. And only when we see we are not strong, we are not wise, we are not good, we are not worthy of God, will we go to God and say we need saving. See, the church is a collection of people that God has taken, not because we are something, because any of us are something. And yet he has chosen us, called us, united us together and united us to Christ and given us all we need in him. And so he says, verse 30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're given a righteousness we could never earn. A holiness we don't deserve. Set apart, holy to God, chosen by him. A redemption we never had the power to gain. And yet God sets us free. People of the cross may not be wise or powerful, but Christ is. See what he's done. In people us, boast in him. What does that mean for us as a church? Well, I guess stop boasting in ourselves. Let's stop trying to be someone. Do you like to be somebody? 
you know, at school or at work or, or even here at church. You know, we use the abilities or the gifts that God has given us. Do we use them to impress others? Do we look down on others when we feel stronger? Or do we hide our failings when we feel weaker? If we do that, it's because we're proud. We want to boast in ourselves. We should stop boasting in our church. Do you know Grosvenor is less special than it used to be? Now, by God's grace and kindness, there are a good number of churches across Dublin that are a similar size, doing the similar kind of ministry. Praise God for that. And yet I think at times we can still go, oh, you know, we've got a big number gathers on a Sunday. Or look at the spread of ages we have. Or we've been able to be faithful for decades. Or we've done two church plants. Do you know why any of that is true, if it is? It's not because of us. It's because of God and his kindness. And don't think that adding more impressive people to church is going to make us stronger. You see, the power lies not in us, but in Christ. But maybe, maybe this is what I want. There's one person in whom the power really lies. The preacher. Paul goes on to talk about the preacher of the cross. Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. Well, maybe actually what we think as a church is that the preacher is redundant because he does seem so weak. Maybe we need to recognize we live in a different world these days. Preaching is outdated. You know, in a world of, of memes and uh, podcasts and vlogs and, and VR and impressive, immersive experiences. You know, maybe now we need a, a new way to do stuff, to bring people to faith than speaking to my friend about Jesus. We need a new way to grow as a church than sitting, listening to preaching. Well, back in Corinth, do you remember? For entertainment, if they wanted entertainment, they didn't go to the cinema, go listen to Taylor Swift or Michael McIntyre. What they did is they went to hear the orator. These guys who would gather people around them and they would speak with such persuasion and power, just wonderful turn of phrase. Moving stories, wise words. You see, in Corinth, they did love preaching, but not the kind of preaching that Paul did. Because compared to them, look, verse 1, Paul was so unimpressive. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Paul didn't try to be impressive. But that doesn't mean that preachers today shouldn't use reason and persuasive arguments. It, it certainly doesn't mean that preaching should be dull. And in God's kindness, he had gifted the church with preachers and some of those preachers 
And I've had the pleasure of sitting under some of these guys, so gifted. And yet those gifts to be used for God's glory. But it's interesting, for Paul, he doesn't want to use his eloquence or wisdom. Not because he couldn't. I mean, have you read chapter 13 from Corinthians? So often read by the world because it's one of the greatest pieces of literature, they think. Love is patience, love is kind. It does not envy, it does I mean, he could be so eloquent. Paul? Well, was it that he wasn't intelligent enough to, to use wise words? No, read Romans. Do you understand all of it? I'm not sure I do. No, he deliberately didn't. Instead, verse 2, resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He simply stuck to the testimony of God, to God's word, and especially Christ and the cross. The world looked at Paul and what did they see? Well, verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear. With much trembling, they saw weakness. The world looked at the method that Paul used. Speaking of Jesus, Bible teaching, and they said, foolishness, weakness. But if Paul had the ability, the gifts, to compete with the greatest artists that the Corinthians could produce, why didn't he compete? Well, he tells us in verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul did it this way. God ordained it this way. Because Paul didn't want the glory to go to him. He didn't want Christians to put their trust in him. He didn't want to mimic the techniques and, and strategies and gimmicks of the Corinthian culture to look impressive. But to simply preach the word of God. And ask God to do the deep, powerful work. So that if anyone came to faith, it would be so clear it was the Holy Spirit. And not Paul who made it happen. I wonder why we make such a big deal about preaching here in Grosvenor. Maybe you think, oh, well, you know, that's just sort of Grosvenor's thing. If we went to a, a different church, they've got a different style and culture. Well, no, because we believe this is God's method. Speak to his people and save the lost. Being gathered like this, opening up God's word and hearing God speak through it. But it could also equally be just chatting to our friend during the week. Where do we think the power lies? Not in looking impressive or talking about impressive things, but in speaking simply about Jesus and the cross and asking God to do the work. I worked for a year in Cambridge um, in the UK. And uh, down the road from where I worked was uh, a church building, a, a church called Holy Trinity Church. And in Holy Trinity, up on the wall, there was a plaque for a guy called Charles Simeon. He was uh, the pastor of that church for 53 years, 1783 to 1836. 
When he arrived into the church at first, he was a young man. The congregation locked their pews. They had these pews with doors on them. They locked the pews because they didn't want anyone to hear this guy. When he walked down the street, they threw eggs at him. And they described his preaching like this. Crude and undigested. Containing striking remarks, but abounding in incorrect statements, allusions, and offensive to good taste. Over the time that he was there, more and more people came to hear and to listen, and many were saved. In fact, some of the missionaries most used by God across the world came from Simeon's church over that period. Why? Did he change the method from those early days? Did he use clever strategy? Did he find some of people to get others to come in? The plaque on the wall, you can go see it there today, said this. Charles Simeon, determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Where does our confidence lie? Where does the power lie? Do, do you wish our message was more impressive? That, that we were more impressive? That our method was more impressive? That our master was more impressive? At least we'd dress better. Remember, reaffirm our faith in We know where the power lies. Because we know the one who holds the power, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And so with Paul, he says, I resolved to do nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. May our trust be in this Savior, in this power in this wisdom verse 18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God I'm going to lead us in prayer let's pray Almighty God, our Father, we bow before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity and its power. We, we pray forgiveness for the times when we want some other way. When we think we know better what is more powerful, what is more impressive than leading people to the cross of Christ. We praise you that when we stop and pause, we know that in your mercy, this is where we have found power and righteousness, and holiness, and redemption. We praise you for that. We praise you for your power to save us, and gather us together, and give hope of eternity. We pray you give us a deeper confidence in your word, in your ways, and most of all, in your Son and the message of him, bear our sin and shame. And Lord, as we 
strive to put our trust there, to speak of him, to boast in him, the glory of him. We pray that you would draw others to see that wonder and glory too. That you, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would get all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to remember the cross of Christ.